Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela and this week we'll be hearing more on the issue of radioactive waste In the first half of the show, we'll hear from Toto Sansbury, and in the second half, we'll hear from Dave Sweeney and Margaret Beavis, speaking on a panel at the screening of a new documentary called Containment. Toto Sansbury has been campaigning for social justice for Aboriginal people for well over 30 years. He's also chaired the National Aboriginal Justice Advisory Committee, monitored the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. In 2014, Sandsbury launched a national advocacy movement for Indigenous people, the Freedom Movement. And this year, his ongoing commitment was recognised by receiving the 2015 NADOC Lifetime Achievement Award. I spoke to him after a meeting between representatives from 16 First Nations of South Australia and the Nuclear Fuel Cycle Royal Commission. At the present moment, I am only a consultant at the present moment, doing some work for myself. But apart from that, I do a lot of other stuff in relation to Aboriginal issues. And I'm dealing with an issue in South Australia, which is the the uranium dump site that the uh, state government is looking at, but there is a lot of opposition to it. So we had a big meeting in Port Augusta, uh, about 16 native title groups all voted against it, and so uh, we're, we're continuing on with that and working, and we've got another meeting coming up, another statewide forum to discuss it again, and we're just a little bit concerned about where they want to put the, the uranium dump site, and of course it's going to be identified on and put on Aboriginal land, but we're going to oppose it and continue to do that. How are people feeling? Because it was only a decade ago that a campaign led by the Kubapiti Kungajuda won and during that period legislation got introduced making it illegal to dump nuclear waste in South Australia. Now already they have to face the the campaign again. Well, it is illegal at this present moment. Like you said, 10 years ago, there was legislation put through to stop it and make sure that it didn't happen in South Australia. But what the Weatherall government is looking at, is they've got a, a commissioner, Commissioner Kevin Scarce, who's uh, doing the Royal Commission into the uranium dump site and speaking to a number of Aboriginal and Native title groups and also to the non-Aboriginal community. So uh, we've got another meeting coming up in the next week uh, with a number of uh, non-Aboriginal people who sit down and talk about it. So uh, there is a lot of opposition to it, and and it's great to see that. I was just doing a pamphlet last night about about a group that's been opposing it for a fair while now. So I'm going to connect up to them and have a chat to them also to get support for for our Aboriginal community. Excellent. And some people I've spoken to are concerned that with the funding cuts to remote communities that they feel like it's all connected, this point to shut down communities, get people off the land and open it up for developments such as this. Do you know where where that's all at at the moment? Well, at the present moment, I don't know where it's going to be, but I know that 
what they're doing is they're doing a big review on the state Aboriginal state heritage act in in South Australia, as they've been doing in Western Australia, and uh, trying to uh, remove a lot of the heritage uh, sites, uh, deregister them so they can do exactly what they want. So, I mean, that'll be another issue that'll come up shortly in in South Australia. The South Australian government or the South Australian Aboriginal Heritage Committee hasn't spoken about it yet, and unfortunately they're not allowed to talk to us about it because they've been uh, told by the government that they're not allowed to do that. So that'll get out shortly, but I know in Western Australia, you know, there's a good 10,000 sites that's been uh, sort of uh, looked at at this present moment and most probably looking at being deregistered. So if that happens in South Australia, it's easy for them to put the dump site anywhere they want. Mm. I understand under the Native Title Act, there's no power given to traditional owners to veto a development, but that there might be possibilities under the Aboriginal Heritage Act to oppose them. Is that correct? Yeah, well, the Aboriginal Heritage Act looks uh, is a little bit stronger than the you know the Native Title Act. I mean, it's, it's the Native Title Act and in consultation and the mining industries are not satisfied with the with the negotiations, they can appeal to the federal court and then, you know, our our opposition to it would be overruled by the federal court and allow, you know, any mining group or uranium group to uh, establish what they want on Aboriginal land. That, that's a problem that we have. Our acts are so weak that we don't really have the protection that we should. You've met with Kevin Scarce and the Nuclear Fuel Cycle Royal Commission. What was the dynamic of those meetings like? And do you feel like they're actually paying attention or taking seriously people's concerns? Well, Kevin Kevin Scarce gave us half a day. We invited him to the meeting. He uh, and he's he's. Kevin Scarce and the government threw in a few dollars so we can make sure that the meeting happens and we brought in the 15 native title groups. There's 29 native title groups in South Australia altogether and they've already opposed, the 29 have already opposed the uh, dumping and the development of a nuclear cycle dump in South Australia. So we've already opposed that but Kevin Scarce gave us a full half a day and uh, we had a good discussion. He he told us, I think, what he wanted to tell us. He didn't tell us everything that we believe he should have told us. Uh, but we had three professionals there, uh, people that have worked in the in the nuclear industry for years. One was a doctor that understands, you know, the impact of, of a leak and how it affects your community and, and what it would do to the people and we had presentations that were shown so the native title groups could see exactly the effects of of uh, a leak and explain that, you know, there's no odour to it, you can't see it, and it doesn't discriminate, and it actually kills people. So these are the things that we talked about, and with that, seriously, that's how we came to our decision about, you know, we don't want to leave it in the ground and leave it alone. If people want to get involved and support 
uh, communities in South Australia. What do you think is the best way for them to do that at this time? Well, they can contact the uh, South Australian Native Title Unit in South Australia and then get in contact with myself and uh, Karina Lester. So Karina Lester is another young Aboriginal lady and myself who's basically leading it in South Australia in the Aboriginal uh, sense, working closely with the South Australian Native Title Group. And like I said, we've got a number of uh, non-Aboriginal groups and unions that are willing to sit down and talk to us and also protest because they have been protesting about this for a number of years. At this present moment, we're still getting, uh, you know, uranium uh, waste through Port Adelaide, coming from Western Australia, and uh, you know, I just uh, looked at that last night and found that it's you know it's coming through Port Adelaide down the main streets, past schools, and and if there's a leak or an accident, you know, it's not good for for the Port Adelaide community or South Australia. So you know, I'm gonna get in contact with them, and like I said, at the uh, Governor Ryan March. On the 16th, we've got another big meeting coming up with union groups. So, I mean, it's going to be full on. It's just going to start to ramp itself up a lot more now. This is the Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. And that was Tordo Sansbury reporting on some of what has been happening in South Australia with the Nuclear Fuel Cycle Royal Commission and the federal government's proposals for the dumping of nuclear waste. While we're still awaiting the release of a short list of sites being considered, a nomination at Kimber in South Australia has had locals jump into action and we hope to get someone from the area on the show soon. Well, this was a topic of discussion for a speakers panel following the screening of a new documentary film by Peter Gallison and Rob Moss during the recent Environmental Film Festival. The documentary, called Containment, uses an interesting mix of interviews, animations and observational footage to look at the ways that people all around the world wondering how to protect future generations from the dangers of radiation and nuclear waste are trying to imagine a society tens of thousands of years from now in order to communicate across time. Focused on Japan and the USA, containment is an exploration of the longevity of radioactive waste and the strategies necessary to secure these stores into an uncertain future. I recorded the panel discussion following the screening and you'll hear the voices of Dave Sweeney, nuclear-free campaigner with Australian Conservation Foundation, and Margaret Beavis, president of the Medical Association for the Prevention of War. First up, a short clip from the film. Do not destroy these markers. These standing stones mark an area once used to bury radioactive wastes. These wastes give off invisible energy that can destroy plants, animals and people. The rock and water in this area may not look, feel, or smell unusual, but may be poisoned.
not dig here. Do not drill here. These markers were designed to last 10,000 years. The film talks about uh, communicating 10,000 years ahead when in fact this stuff really needs 100,000 or 240,000 years worth of communication. And I think that that's uh, so difficult to imagine. The second comment I make about this film, which is, I still think, a fantastic film, is that we've got to stop making the bloody stuff. We really do. And he asked the question, where are we now? We have in this country 35% of the world's uranium, uh, which is the raw material for nuclear fuel, nuclear power, and it all becomes radioactive waste. So a third of the world's future radioactive waste is here. One of the great tr credits of um, Australian environment movement and working with trade, many trade unions and indigenous organisations and others has been to restrict and, con and contain that, uh, that industry. And in 2014, the last year that we've got the full figures, we, we mined and shipped less uranium than we had for any year for the 16 years beforehand. So we are involved in uranium mining. We have one small 20 megawatt uh, research and industrial and medical isotope production reactor in southern Sydney. We do not have domestic nuclear power, and I'd, I'd say strongly that we won't. Um, and we have here right now an interesting and very pertinent, this is very timely, uh, issue in relation to radioactive waste, and we have that in two ways. We have here a, a push that's happened for 20 years from successive federal governments to concentrate Australia's low and intermediate, long-lived intermediate level waste at a remote central site. That has, has continued from 1996-7 through to now, under Labor and under coalition governments. Some people in the audience might have heard of places like uh, Iritiwanti Campaign and, and the Kubapedi Kuba, uh, Kuba and more recently Muckety in Northern Territory. For 20 years the government's tried to find a site, for 20 years communities have resisted and the government hasn't been able to advance it. There's now an attempt, which is happening now, we expect a short list of sites to be announced by Minister Ian McFarlane uh, in the next month. Um, and they're trying to bring in an element of volunteerism, which is important. So we'll see whether they're fair income and that will make the determination as whether environment groups and others are at the table or in the trenches. There's one other point. Some people will be aware there's a Royal Commission in South Australia at the moment. It's looking at opportunities and risks involved with an expansion of the nuclear industry in that state. One of the specific terms of reference is that South Australia hosts global radioactive waste. And there are many, many countries and many, many utilities and companies that are quite interested in that and circling and putting pressure. So from uranium in the ground, the first shovel through to national and international waste, the last barrel, um, this industry is significant and contested in this country. One of the guys in that film said, human civilization, the extent of human civilization is 10,000 years. Well, you know, there's, there's carbon dated, you know, everyone agrees, carvings and, and evidence of occupation in this country of 60,000 years. So that spans far longer. And if you look at the, that indigenous story about sickness country and jang and danger country, it often links 
it often links with the presence of uranium. So the, I think we need to move away from the idea of a dump and into the idea of stewardship. And I think we also need to, to when, when you walk into the house and the tap's on and the plug's in the sink and it's all flooding, you don't go for the mop, you turn off the tap. And a fundamental ecological principle is reduction at source. So this stuff is really hazardous, it's really hard to manage and we should not use it or produce more of it. In terms of what damage will radiation do, it's subtle, it's invisible, but it's there. And what's worse is that as the medical evidence accumulates, we're getting more and more aware that it's happening at low doses. In South Australia, there seems to be a renewed interest by the South Australian government, given the fact that sort of the car industry shut down in this very southern you know, sort of um, economic stresses that that state's going under, to have a renewed interest in things nuclear. Um, I wondered if the panel could comment on that as to whether you think that is a real fear, that, that, that it does look like that that's uh, um, uh, happening and, uh, you know, are the um, anti-nuclear um, uh, organisations prepared for it came out of the blue, but it followed three uh, really heavy blows for the South Australian economy. Uh, the, the loss of a vehicle building at Elizabeth, the loss of submarine and defence contracts, and the non-expansion, $25 billion planned expansion of the world's largest uranium deposit by the world's largest miner, BHP Billiton and Olympic Dam. After Fukushima, BHP Billiton put that expansion, which South Australian government had been waiting for with bated breath, they, they put it on the shelf and said they weren't doing it. So I think it is a response that's, be, that's um, showing that uh, whether or not anything comes of it, that we're a can-do government that countenances new ideas sort of thing, even if their old ideas gone wrong. In relation to what will come of it, there are four terms of reference in the, in the Royal Commission. It, it's to explore the opportunities and the risks of further increasing the nuclear industry in South Australia in relation to uranium mining. We know the answer to that. The market's gone. The market's gone. And the policy settings are all there in favour of uranium. State and federal uh, bipartisan political support and BHP have put their money on the shelf. The dollars aren't there. Uranium doesn't matter what this commission says about uranium mining, it won't expand it. Second one is reprocessing and enrichment. So value adding, as they say it. They're complicated, costly, dirty, proliferation sensitive. People get nervous about them and the world's already oversupplied. BHP said no, Ziggy Switkowski said no. Like, that's not gonna fly. The third point they're looking at is domestic nuclear power. Now there's a bunch of people running around, a bunch of excitable people, particularly from the Adelaide, University of Adelaide, talking about small modular reactors and it makes it sound like it's a generator that you drop off the back of a ute and it looks after itself. And you have one in your backyard. They don't exist. And the capital cost of the, the reactors that we have now is vast. South Australia is, is as uh, Peter mentioned, it's, it's Australia's leading renewable state. Um, and why would, you, why would you lose your market share? Why would you spend a fortune in public money? Every reactor program around the world that's not in a, in a state economy is behind time and over budget. 
So I don't reckon that's going to fly, but I reckon they will generate a lot of heat, not much light, so or the other way around. You're as optimistic as I am. I am, except for this one. Except for this one. The biggest problem with the nuclear industry that they have about their social licence and their acceptability is this one. What we've seen tonight, waste. Countries that have had 60 years of commercial nuclear power have not got a waste site because it is a real problem politically and technically. And Australia looks fantastic if you're sitting in a boardroom in Seoul or Tokyo or Hamburg. Australia looks fantastic. And there will be people that will push for that. And there are people, Warren Mundine, Bob Hawke and others, in our country who are spruiking that. So we need to really watch that one with great vigilance. We need to watch the international with great vigilance and we need to treat our national waste with great responsibility. There is a great deal of agency um, amongst remote communities and particularly remote Indigenous communities, more than people give credit to, and that's facilitated by social media and solidarity actions. But I think that we haven't made the transition and that's why we're watching really closely to see what Minister McFarlane does in the next month. I don't think we've made the transition for a long time in Australia. The way we've approached nuclear business has been radioactive terra nullius. It's been like it's out there. There were British nuclear testings and we basically opened our nation to be bombed without adequate controls, without consent and without due regard. And the same has happened with, in relation to the radioactive waste issue. It's been said it's been about, uh, the siding's been about science, but it's largely been driven by political science. The science of the numbers, the science of marginal electorates, the science of who cares. And Peter's absolutely right. When, when people engage and are informed and, and, it, and it is put out there for what it is, that there is an attempt to secretive and by the government to impose the longest lived waste in this country on the lands of some of the most dispossessed and poor people in this country. For most Australians, irrespective of how you vote, that, that um, doesn't sit true and people take action and that so far has halted this from happening. But it's happened again and again and again and we need to really move away from a convenient expedient approach to radioactive waste to a thoughtful and measured one. Like this stuff lasts longer than any of us and certainly longer than any electoral cycle. And we need to get its management right. And that's why this was an interesting film because it dealt with the complexity and it dealt with some of those questions about consent, what constitutes a community, who has the right to make those long-term intergenerational decisions, how transparent you have to be. And it also showed the WIP thing is very important. That facility, has been shut down, like I said there. It has been just two months ago, that shutdown was extended indefinitely because of or unforeseen problems. So there are no easy solutions. Everything about this is complex, but everything about it is important. And I'll just add that one of the reasons the WIP uh, facility was supposed to have got into trouble was because it had initially started with a meticulous attention to detail and safety it took very few years for people to relax, for cost-cutting to take its toll and for the standards of care that this really toxic material demands to fall off so that the WIP facility shutting down long-term is no surprise because we're fallible. People get it wrong. People make mistakes. We stuff up and this material, this waste material, is very intolerant of mistakes. I think the greatest
problem that, that we face with, with um, the secure ra uh, management of radioactive waste is a lack of a genuine process, a lack of genuine evidence, a lack of genuine commitment and resourcing. Because I can't think of an industry where corners don't get cut. And I can't, as Margie so well said, think of an industry that is so unforgiving to corners being cut yep. as the nuclear industry. So I think our own vulnerabilities, our own capriciousness and greed, our own irresponsibility, our, our financial drivers and our political drivers will be the greatest weakness to this. And in relation to Peter's passionately put thing about Australia's role, there's a discussion perhaps, but it's a discussion that needs, if, it is, if, if any of this is to be advanced, it needs to be what this industry doesn't like, out in the open and evidence-based. My final point for tonight is when we look at this stuff and when we look at the Fukushima dimension, the strand of this story, important story, it was Australian uranium that was not only sold to that company, TEPCO, the Tokyo Electric Power Corporation, but we know, confirmed by the Department of Foreign Affairs, that Australian uranium was the fuel load in the reactor when it melted down. So when you hear Fukushima fallout, think Kakadu and Northern South Australia and big yellow trucks because that's where Fukushima started. My final comment to this would be that the waste is that we do need to phase out uh, manufacture of is not benign. That transporting plutonium around the world, you're, you're transporting low volume materials that can make nuclear weapons very easily. This is not benign material. Transporting it alone is a huge risk. And it's a very, very complicated matter as how we deal with nuclear waste. So we need to phase out nuclear power. We've got to make nuclear weapons illegal. There's a mob in Melbourne that most of you will have heard about called ICANN um, that started here. It's now worldwide, the International Campaign for the Abolition of Nuclear <coughs> Weapons. And if you want to look at their website, if you want to support them, become a benefactor if you like, then really, you know, we can work on this, but we all have to pull together. Um, and I do think I am concerned about what's going to come out of the South Australian uh, Commission because I do think there is going to be a push for waste. This is the Radioactive Show across the land on the Community Radio Network. I really encourage you to check out this film and you can visit the website. It's containmentmovie.com and you can find out more about it there. But hopefully we'll have some more screenings around the country in the next little while. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Thanks so much to Tordo Sandsbury, Dave Sweeney, Margaret Beavis and the organisers of the Environmental Film Festival for letting me record that panel discussion. The Radioactive Show was produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Victoria on the lands of the Wurundjeri, part of the Kulin Nation and broadcast throughout the continent via the Community Radio Network. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us via email radioactive.3cr at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and the podcast of today's show and others like it can be found at 3cr.org.au backslash radioactive. 
That's all we have time for today, but we'll be back again next week with more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. And until then, take care.